award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. Appreciate you tuning in and watching and listening. we got a fun show for you today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about rehabbers today, Don. Yes, going to learn a lot more. Good to have you back with us. You bet. Good to be here. Good to be here. Um, you want to kick off with a radio station for this sure, week? Sure, sure. ESPN, WMC, ESPN 790 in Memphis. Um Love that station. Uh, we're on Saturday mornings. We follow our good friend, Larry Ray. Outdoors with Larry Ray has been on the air for 20 years. Just celebrated that recently. Yeah. And, uh, man, it's a great spot to be in. We we appreciate WMC and uh, all they've done for, for Wildcast. Yeah, awesome. That's pretty cool to think we're on an ESPN radio. Station. I know, yeah. Yeah. Wildcast is everywhere. We get out there. You mentioned <laughs> Bristol to Memphis, and uh, we'll go from Memphis to Bristol this time. Yeah, yeah. Memphis to Bristol. You, you can uh, hear this show on the radio. You can catch us on your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, you can find that list of radio stations at tmwildcast.com. Yep. Um, you can watch us if you want to look at us. We're not always the best thing to look at, but <laughs> if you want to watch, you can uh, do that on our YouTube channel, our Facebook, our Instagram. We're out there everywhere. Today's the exception. We have some very, very nice-looking young ladies. Yeah. That are, and this doesn't happen very often, no. i got to tell you. you no, know, it's, it's mostly guys, you know. Ugly guys in here. Yeah, exactly. So, so. we got, uh, you, this is the show to watch. They have, they, they have brightened our studio, for sure. For sure. Yes, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, let's introduce these ladies. Uh Devin Blackburn from Lily Birds Wildlife and Debbie Sykes from Nashville Wildlife Conservation. Great so, to be here. Hi, guys. Uh, hey. They were here recently. We talked about um, uh, injured and orphan wildlife and, and that kind of thing. But today yeah. we're talking about rehabilitators and what they do. So um, that's going to be a fun conversation. I'm excited to get started in this. Um, you talk about dedication. Mm -hmm. You know, these, these two are a great example of... The heart they have for the wildlife and, and taking care of uh, of nature and and you guys are just you're awesome for for doing what you do and nice. uh, um, you know we get we get calls at the front desk a lot what do I do and you guys are our lifeline you really are um, and and we appreciate what you do and and it, and it's amazing how you do how much you do mm -hmm. with um, I mean, you're you're a not not for profit organizations, aren't you? We are. And and how does that work? I mean, you donations and and that kind of thing. Is that how you yes. you do your work? Yes, we have our lives outside of our rehabilitation work, where we continue to get paid for our own cost of living. Right. Yeah. And then we are a part of these organizations that are not for profit and thrive on community charity uh-huh so i mean we can't cover all those costs it, it gets nutrition alone is very expensive mm -hmm. just oh, for yeah. like a week of possums you're yes. looking at a hundred dollars wow one yeah. group of possums yeah. right right so so in the mean when you're not doing the the wildlife rehabilitation what what do you each do for for a living i work in veterinary medicine okay so I am, oh, that's a good connection. It, yeah, it is. It helps. It, it's a huge help. So, but there's so much that 
clinically happens at my day-to-day job with companion animals that is not how it works with the natural history of the wildlife that we are dealing with Uh in those settings. So there's there's a real good segue because animals to animals, but also it's a lot different. Right. And so I'm going to Vol State to also be veterinary um, technician. And then I teach other wildlife rehabilitators through the IWRC, which is the International Wildlife Rehab Council. Okay. And so teach them how to be wildlife rehabilitators. There's a whole course for that. And then I also work for a board-certified veterinary behaviorist, so training animals and okay. things like that. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Wow. So it's it's not... Uh, very far outside of what you do as a rehabilitator, you know your your everyday profession. So yeah. that's pretty cool. And we get to use well that connected. To help we us. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of carryover from one to the next. And you guys need, as part of what you do as a rehabilitator, you need to have a connection with a veterinary Absolutely. outlet, don't you? Yes. Somehow. Yeah, we're not. I think a lot of people think that we are veterinarians and they can bring us animals and we can give them antibiotics, but that's the the vet's job. Right. Yes. Yeah. They have that formal education. Uh-huh. They know expansive dosages and yes, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Lots of things. We do have to take in, like Devin was saying, the natural consideration. So where you might shave a dog for surgery, you shouldn't shave. You know, I got a possum in that had been shaven at a vet clinic and couldn't be released for months just because oh. of you know having to grow the hair back. You can't release a, okay. a shaved possum. And that's part like of that, that crossover. We're teaching them while they're teaching us. Okay, yeah. That's wow. hmm. good. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So um, uh, it's sometimes on your own dime, and it's a lot of times on your own time, right? I mean, yep. uh, so you're looking for donations. You're looking for, do you look for food donations as well as monetary donations? Yes. We yeah. do have to kind of consider, so we both feed our animals very high, you know, organic food because we a lot of the times the pesticides do cause issues for things like turtles. Sure. And so it does take a lot of money to do that. Uh-huh. So we are looking for that kind of food donations. And then the staples as well, like cat food. and Yes. And some that are very specific to that animal so they don't all just eat cat food or dog food you have to go out and get some really interesting things sometimes <laughs> anything from small prey items that sure. can be insects to small mammal prey items and those are not just from the supermarket or the pet store right, <laughs> so right. there's a lot of holes in my backyard from digging up yeah. dirt for our eastern mole so yeah yeah <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, so it's not as easy sometimes just to go buy the food that you need. So, that, yeah, that would be great. Right. <laughs> just, just a wildlife rehab yeah. store <laughs> doesn't uh, exist. No. no. Well, we've kind of touched on some of the things, but what what are? I mean, it's going to be it's a long list. I'm mm-hmm. sure. I know you've got a list there in front of you. But what do rehabbers do? Uh, the easiest way to to start off is just kind of by defining it. Uh And so we brought our definition, which is the treatment and temporary care of injured, diseased, and displaced indigenous animals and subsequent release of healthy animals to appropriate habitats in the wild. So there's kind of a lot in there where we're not just raising babies and putting them back out. We have to do a lot to make sure that they're healthy. They're going back to the right environment. And that takes a lot of different types of knowledge. The approach in the rehab setting is the foundation Mm. for getting to that end goal. Mm -hmm. So you have to know the natural history of that animal. You can't sit and stare at rabbits. They don't get stared at. 
any time that eye contact is made, that's usually the last time it's seen. Yeah. <laughs> so they, oh. they are prey animals. Uh-huh. So we do camera setups and a lot of kind of watching secretively or uh-huh. hiding behind a branch yeah. while you're feeding <laughs> something. Mm-hmm. And you don't want this animal to then go out and think, oh, well, I can just come and take food from you. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah, we don't want them to recognize humans, but we also don't want them to get used to having a lot of stress and being fine with stress in their lives because you don't want a possum who, when they when somebody's approaching, they're not taking off and running. Um, so we have to make sure we're limiting our interactions as yes. well with those cameras. Yes. So do y- y'all uh, have like suits you wear and like, <laughs> come in looking like the animal? Or that would be great, disguising? but they have a great sense of smell, so <laughs> yeah. they would just be able to smell. <laughs> and that's that's one of the first indications you get on. They will assess you for you. Mm. You know, when you walk into that room, are they coming up to the front of the cage, or are you just seeing that little waddle off and then hide? Yeah. So. I remember our experiences with the Appalachian Bear Rescue oh, yeah. and, and how that that sort of tactic was always in place. You know, that there's uh, shielding up so that there there's no human mm-hmm. uh, interaction or, or uh, ability for the animals to see that it was a human providing the food, you know, and it was, you know, placed through troughs and things that uh, it's it really interesting, all the... the extra effort you have to go through to, to yeah. make sure that that, that part is, is uh, held up. If you have nocturnal animals and dinerial animals, you know, you got to stay just ahead of their schedule so that they're not engaging you while you're cleaning or feeding. Oh, okay. And you're yeah. not feeding a possum first thing in the day. You're adjusting right. your schedule so you feed them at nighttime when they wake up so they get fresh food and... Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in the hospital setting, wow. too, that has to kind of go into that. And how you put that, you can't put a bunny in near a hawk because you've got the predator-prey relationship, <laughs> yeah. so you have different rooms. So you got to stress out. Yeah. <laughs> stress them all out by putting them in the same room. Yeah. Um, I think about the, back to the feeding you mentioned. Uh, so y'all schedules are crazy, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. The different animals, different feeding times. Talk a little bit about that. God bless our husbands. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> we have good support behind us. We do. Oh, little mammals in particular that stay on a 24-hour schedule. So some of the little squirrels that come in, you're going to be up every three hours feeding those guys. Uh. And that doesn't stop until they're a couple of weeks old. Wow. And you might have many, many of them at one time. So it's not like you're just wake it up and put a little formula in you're going to the next one you're going to the next one it takes some time wow so and they're not wanting to eat right because they're in this new environment their mom you know maybe they've been kidnapped maybe their mom's been killed whatever and so you're having to deal with the stress of that as well it takes extra time when they first mm-hmm. come in because yeah you need to manage that so how about volunteers now, you guys can't do every bit of that all the time you know especially during heavy traffic times i would think it's impossible yes <laughs> yeah we have a really great group of volunteers we have education volunteers hospital volunteers and then we also have transport volunteers because we can't there's no way we can be feeding animals and and helping people with something that uh-huh. you know that injured bunnies or things like that need to come in and not everybody has to work with the animals some people want to mm-hmm. some people do not a we lot s- of support that they could provide yeah food needs to be in. prepared laundry needs to be washed and folded uh-huh. uh, i mean cages need to be cleaned sure yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. but then the volunteers have to uh, 
adhere to those guidelines as well, making sure keeping your voices low. And it's such a different environment from their work or their regular life where you have to come in and, you know, quiet, no perfume, no. Right. Um, yep. Huh. What if it's cedar? Or <laughs> Ooh, that's a good question. Everybody's got to rub cedar all over them before they come in. Uh, so, um, more on what the rehabbers do. What what's kind of what's the qualifications? What's some qualifications that that you look for or need to to be able to do this work? Our baseline is what the state sets. Okay. So we have to meet all the criteria set by the state, and that's on a website that is accessible to the public. Mm. Um, you're going to need at least 200 hours. As of now, this is what the criteria is, 200 hours to work with the animals that you're wanting to work with. And that's minimum, too. So that's Right. Yeah. The more, the better. The longer we do this, the more, more we're learning. Mm-hmm. So it's not every rehabber is going to do every species. So you want to really focus on the ones that you plan to work with. And then have your connections with your veterinary professionals, Make sure that your facilities are set up and ready to go and that it's going to be a lot of us are home-based. So you have to have that support and understanding from your neighbors and your family and anybody else in that common area. So that's just where you start. And then there's our backgrounds Mm -hmm. individually and how that applies. So some people need to learn more medicine. We're okay with the medicine. But a lot of people don't understand those things yet. So um, from there, knowing what your commitment to the public is, that's a huge one. Uh, Be prepared to educate people. Mm -hmm. Be prepared to report to different uh, divisions of um, wildlife management, really, or biology. A lot of research happens in our environments. So you can... I could really go on for a while with that one. Um, And it doesn't happen overnight. It took several years for me personally um, in a couple of different states before I started doing what I'm doing here. Yeah, it's it's a lot more than just that that lover of wildlife who maybe has an area that they could set up some cages or set up facilities and and house them. They got to have that knowledge, the background, the the training, Mm -hmm. like you, you mentioned, you know, the training you do on the side. In addition to this rehab work, it, mm-hmm. it all comes together. It has to all happen. Yeah, and really, like the, I think the biggest thing is being able to take a step back and think, like, how are my animals really doing? And comparing your animals versus the animals in the wild, they should look and kind of act the same. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big disconnect that I think a lot of people who try to raise squirrels and raccoons and fawns on their own that aren't permitted, you know, they think like, oh, well, we raised them and they're fine. But right. when you kind of take that step back and you look, you realize, oh, there's a lot of things that aren't good. You know, this rabbit's full of coccidia. <laughs> or this bird is just not in a full molt. Yeah. You know? He's got stress they, bars on his... Everywhere. Oh yeah, my gosh, yes. on his feathers. So, and, and that's just because of all the handling or the inappropriate diet because, again, you can't go buy wild, wild bird baby food. Right. It's just... It's a combination of things and... Um, Species-specific. Yes. Yeah. So, which is why there are songbird specialists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that takes me back. We've, we mentioned it on the other show with you guys, but um, you have a network of people that you work with. If you get a call and, and you're not the specialist for that, you know who to send them to. And yeah. we get a lot of calls at the front desk, and, and you got, your all's names are, are given to them. The list is given to them that's on our website to, to find someone in their area. 
But uh, y'all have a good network of people that you can rely on, right? And Tennessee is very lucky. We have an awesome songbird specialist in Middle Tennessee from Ziggy's Tree. And so very lucky to have someone like that. It's a big deal because that person has been doing what they've been doing for a long time. And they are also well-connected and resourced. And, you know, occasionally something blows in that's not supposed to be here. So, yeah, this is our first call. Yeah. <laughs> we, we need you. And we learn a lot from each other mm-hmm. because back to that whole not everybody works with every species thing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you too much about turtles. Debbie's your person. I'll tell you all you want to know about turtles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some folks love different types of wildlife and, you know, uh, I find a love for others that they don't so much uh, want to care for, or, you know, than, than others. But anyway, that's cool. Um, anything else that you all want to talk about about what a rehabber does that we've missed so far? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, but we'll narrow it down. Uh, I think one of the other things is the the health commitment we have mm-hmm. to the public. Um, I know Devin talks a lot about zoonosis. and So you were asking about zoonosis. Yeah. That is, by definition, the potential to share diseases, essentially. So uh-huh. um, there are some parasites, exter- excuse me, external or internal that some animals can give people Hmm. and some people you'll see a lot of us wearing gloves when we're doing very routine things with animals we can give them things Uh so it's just something that is transmissible back and forth and it may not even just be us as a concern but our companion pets or our agriculture animals so we have really good cross-contamination protocols where we're not spreading things around and we were just talking about one of the endemic issues that we're seeing right now, highly pathogenic avian influenza. And that's affecting um, a lot of the flocking birds that people use in agriculture or that you see congregating at water sources. So your ducks, your geese, turkeys, Uh chickens. Um, But the wildlife population can move some of that around Mm -hmm. without actually becoming contaminated themselves. So if we are seeing things, we need to report things. So that's a a really big deal with fungal infections in reptiles. It's a big deal with uh, rabbit hemorrhagic disease right now, chronic wasting disease. Uh And part of our commitment to the public is not just helping with monitoring the wildlife that we directly work with, but guarding public health. And that comes in our hospital, right? So everything that we're doing in our hospital, we're not picking up one turtle and then picking up another turtle. We have to, like, go through, wash our hands in between right. each turtle. Yeah. And so it gets – it's time-consuming just to do those types of things. Uh-huh. It's a lot of cleaning. Mm. Yeah. And you're not, uh, you're not putting all the turtles in one, in one bin or all the squirrels in one bin. You're, you're separating oh, those, yes. right? Yeah. And everybody has to be accounted for as a group and as an individual. So a lot of – hands-off, still quick hands-on, getting a quick weight, <laughs> making sure that everything looks right, all in about 20 seconds, boop, back in. Yeah. Wow. And then on top of all that, we're also dealing with public, and I don't say dealing with public. We get to work with the public. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are very happy to. But it can be hard when there's high-stress situations. Maybe a raccoon just came in and mm-hmm. killed a whole chicken flock and trying to help with a different coexisting uh-huh. yes. issues. We, don't want to villainize them when they're doing what they know to do and they're just taking opportunity Mm -hmm. so 
the chicken coops. Yeah. So yeah, I was talking about my chickens earlier, and you said, "Can we talk about those?" <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, you know, I've got uh, I've got some chickens, got some chicks that I'll be getting outside here pretty soon. And uh, so, what's your suggestions for folks who have uh, farm animals <laughs> yeah. and things like that that they want to protect? Yeah. So it kind of depends if you're going to keep them in a chicken coop. Really, what you're looking at is you got to think about how the predators can get in. You know, they can get through a thin net on the top of the roof. Mm. They can dig. Th- underneath the chicken coop so you do have to make sure there's hardware cloth on all four sides and they need to be really thin so that chicken wire raccoons can just stick their hand in and grab the feather of the chicken um, and and get it that way but if you have like the quarter inch or even the half inch they can't do that okay so really making sure we're we tend to be experts on that because we have to design our cage to keep predators in and out. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, chew, and chewing, digging, like thinking about all the different things that they like to do. Yep. Sometimes it involves a little concrete. Yeah. <laughs> Just on top of the wire. Mm-hmm, yeah. But Trying to keep rats out who can maybe fit through some of the hardware cloth. We, that's, mm-hmm. we had to concrete ours recently because one got in. And, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of things there that you got to think about. Yeah, uh, really. You know, I've. I've had chickens a while, and, and I don't have that tide of wire, so maybe that's why I've lost a few chickens. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, and I mean, we know from learning from other people's mistakes and then our own as well, and so that's the other part about networking is, yes, yeah, this just happened, do this with your enclosure, so yes. go by, and we started doing concrete and things like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we probably touched on this a little bit, but I thought maybe we'll bring it up again is, uh I have similar to a vet question mark. So uh, are you, you do a lot of some of the same stuff that a vet might do, but how similar are you to a vet and what's the differences from what you guys do versus what a vet, you you both work for vets or have that experience? Um, Well, like Debbie mentioned, it's, you're not doing wound repairs on these animals and removing all their hair like you would your your cat or your dog because they are in protected situations. They don't have to worry about their body temperatures because they're inside with you mm-hmm. um, and that is something that we stay pretty sharp on because we know the longer it takes them to grow that hair the longer they're captive the longer they're captive the less likely they are to be a successful release so because that's the goal you want them to be released correct? absolutely yeah. every time all of them and one of the things that we are doing that might parallel that people would see is doing medications, Mm -hmm. but we cannot prescribe them. We are still doing them under the counsel of a veterinarian. And we both have some pretty good vets that we work with and they are accessible to us outside of clinical hours. So that's really helpful. Um, But we are doing a lot of wound care. We're doing a lot of parasite treatment a very undesirable part of what we do. But <laughs> I do like I like doing fecals. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, some surprising things. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're having to test for a lot of those uh, zoonotic diseases as well. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. so we're protecting the environment doing that sure. um, at our rehab sites, but also letting that animal back out. You know, that's also going to lead to success is sending them back out without parasites. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good for our health also. Sure. Um, we are monitoring recoveries and charting and keeping up with things in a way that you would expect to see a, a veterinary practice do it. Um, so if that one comes back, we got a good chart on it right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And I mean, we're also tracking each individual animal's weight. So even yes. if you have a group of 13 possums, you're weighing every single 
individual hmm. every day. Okay. Gets a little tricky. You got to do a lot of little nail flags <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Everybody has identification. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot that people may see us doing that they would say, oh, you know, they're they're doctors. They got it. We're not doctors. We're, we work with doctors. Yeah. But we also know what those medications are and how they affect that animal and which medications you can use because some of these are prey animals yeah or they are on the list of hunted and we don't want that to be something that is going to again cause harm to other animals or other people uh-huh. so you have to have a pretty good knowledge base of what you're doing based on medications before you just start slinging stuff around and you you touched on something a second ago too that i know must be really important to have after hours access to mm-hmm. that professional uh veterinarian you know when you need it you know, yes. not that you you want to overuse that, but but you, it's a must have. Right. Really, yeah. the you amount get. of in- animals you get on a Friday evening at like seven o'clock that need a vet, right? Or on the weekends, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And knowing how to stabilize them, make sure that they are candidates for rehabilitation, because uh-huh. sometimes when the mower blade isn't up high enough, mm. some of those animals can't be saved. Mm. Um, but the ones that can, knowing the appropriate thing to do with that wound and get them through until they can go see the doctor. Right. And that brings up another good point is we do have to euthanize a lot of animals. Sure. And sometimes, it, you know, it's heartbreaking, yeah. but it is ultimately what's best for that animal. And so having to explain that to the public as well can be very difficult. Right. On top of dealing with the euthanasia you know, see well. bunnies or with carts on them you know yeah. they yeah. that won't work out in the wild right. they yeah. will not yeah and they don't want to be you know if you give an, a wild animal a chance you know if you open up the cage they're going to choose to leave right uh-huh. they don't want to be in captivity so right keeping that in mind too well before we run out of time i, I wanted to ask about the education side y- yeah. y'all are both educators are there any times that the animals become a they can't be released or used for education. Is that something y'all do as well? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So we have um, almost 10 education animals at our facility and they are, we keep it hands off. So we're not picking up animals and showing it to the public because that doesn't send a great message, right. right? We're treating them like wild animals. We're doing some of that training that came from working with the vet behaviorist. So that's okay. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Good crossover there. Yeah. Um, and just doing, you know, trying to show people this is what a wild animal looks like in the wild uh-huh. Yeah. uh-huh making sure that not every single animal is going to qualify for that either just because they can't be released so they need to be well-rounded yeah. and be okay with it themselves they yeah. need that choice and we go through a big assessment for that too you know they have to meet all these different qualifications right before yeah. we run out of time yeah. anybody interested in donating to the cause oh yeah what's the best way to do that you are welcome to visit our social media, uh-huh. Lilybirds Wildlife, or and then at Nashville Wildlife CC. We also have it on our website, which is NashvilleWildlifeConservation.org. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Awesome. You bet. Well, we'll make sure that uh, folks can click below or find your tags below and get get to y'all's channels and and donate. That'd be awesome. For, I'm sure y'all would appreciate that very much. Yes, we thank would. You. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, thanks, Don. You bet. Uh, I learned a lot today. Yeah, I did too. I did too. And thanks, Rusty, for pulling this together. And thank you, Devin and Debbie, for for what you do and being on the show again. And uh, we'll uh, look forward to working with you all in the future. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you all. Keep up the good work. Uh, This is Tennessee Wildcast. Uh, Remember, tnwildlife.org. 
for all things wildlife. Uh, don't forget our e-store at shop.goutdoorstennessee.com. Pick up a hat or some swag there. If you want a license, it's goutdoorstennessee.com. So we encourage you to go out there and buy a license. Support wildlife and get outside and enjoy it. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.